Thanks for tuning in to JR's Hunt for Life Suicide Prevention Podcast, Safe Talk, with Jenny Hunter and Billy Floyd, where there are no judgments and talk saves lives. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Safe Talk. This is Jenny Hunter. I'm going to be hosting uh, this talk, and we are all about suicide prevention and safe talk. JR's Hunt for Life is the sponsor of this program. We are a family nonprofit. We began this um, nonprofit around five years ago after our son JR ended his life by suicide. So, this is what we do we talk about safe talk. We talk about suicide prevention, all the things that we need to learn to keep people alive. So the first thing I'm going to say is I have a very, very good friend of mine who's also a professional licensed counselor. Her name is Verlene Davis. She's in Casper, Wyoming. She has several credentials, but the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you our contact information. And as usual, you can contact us at any time. And for me, you can contact us on any social media under JR's Hump for Life. You can message me via that way. You can go to Facebook and message me, Jenny Hunter. You can get on the Facebook pages that we have JR's Hunt for Life and message any of our admins and myself. My email is jlh35 at hotmail.com. And let me breathe. And now that I'm done with that, welcome, Verlene. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for inviting me, Jenny. You're quite welcome. We're so, we are just honored that you could be here with us and talk to us a bit. Verlene, would you like to share your contact information? Yes, I uh, am at 1607 CY Avenue, Suite 102, here in Casper, Wyoming. My um, phone is 307-337-4673, and so you can call in if you want to try and make an appointment. We do have a wait list, and appointments are out about four weeks at this point in time, but um, if you want to get in or if you want me to help steer you to someone else we have other very highly qualified people in the city absolutely we do do you have an email or any other form of contact Verlene? yes my office email is k as in katherine v as in victor davis at hushmail.com like hush little baby <laughs> i've never <laughs> <laughs> so, Verlene, uh, you know, I've asked you on here because um, I'm a first responder uh, with the Casper Police Department and the Sheriff's Department, and I have seen you debriefing police officers and working with these professionals. I know that you are, um, you have a Master's of Art and a Licensed Professional Counselor in Psychology. I'm going to briefly go through all of these. It probably would take me the whole program <laughs> to go through all of your credentials. But briefly, Verlene has an EMDR Level 2 Certified Integrative Mental Health Professional. Um, 
two-day comprehensive suicide risk assessment and intervention. She works with clients with compassion and confidence, which I absolutely can guarantee that is true. Uh, managing suicide with high crisis DBT clients, losing a loved one to suicide interventions to um, move survivors beyond the ruins, why people die by suicide, what the uh, last 20 years of research shows us, which uh, I want to get into that during this program. I'm very interested in the latest uh, research and 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 things that we need to hear um, as a community and all over about research uh, and what what we can do to save lives. She's a certified integrative um, a, a professional regarding nutritional and integrative medicine for mental health professionals. That's awesome. Now she has um, experiential play therapy intensive training early childhood mental health professional certification member of Wyoming Association for Play Therapy. I might mention Berlin um, helps people of all ages, from children to adults. Is that correct, Berlin? That's correct. 18 months to somewhere in their 80s. Wow. Okay, then crisis intervention international association of firefighters peer support training international critical incident stress foundation group crisis intervention assisting individuals in crisis uh, national certified counselor through national board for certified counselors and bunches and bunches of classes and courses <laughs> Um, and now that, that Berlin is very, very impressive. I I know that this talk is going to help people. They're going to hear from from someone that deals directly with people that are suicidal or survivors of suicide, trauma, tragedy. So first of all, well, let me ask you. I read. I just read off this whole list of things. So, Berlin, what does all of these things? What do they have to do with suicide prevention? Can you tell us that? Well, the emotional frailty that becomes eventual suicidal ideation, and then perhaps an attempt or completion of suicide, begins early on in sometimes with it, oftentimes with a trauma, an early trauma. And so if we can, the earlier we can treat those traumas, for instance, if I have an 18-month-old who had some kind of trauma um, and I can treat that child with EMDR geared toward a little child, we can treat it and help them have incredible productive lives and they won't need to have those feelings building up to the emotional frailty and fragile uh, feelings that eventually come out as this hurts so bad I don't want to live anymore. That is amazing that you can treat someone 18 months old and and be successful at that so that there is suicide prevention. Um, now, can they communicate with you, an 18-month-old? Yes, that's why we use play therapy. Play is the first language we humans learn. And it goes all across barriers that I don't have to speak their native language in order to play with a child or to watch a child play, whichever way it works out. 
uh, and the play therapy can be used very in, effectively by the child to communicate whatever's going on. Say they're a little one that was born with some kind of um, something like a cleft palate or some kind of heart disorder and had to have all kinds of surgeries from the time they were little infants. We can help treat the trauma that goes with those early things that be the happening before they're verbal by using play to help them express the feelings that they had around it. Because that with, is, even though they haven't words, they have muscle memory. That I mean, that's absolutely amazing. I, it never occurred to me that play therapy could be a form of safe talk. Is that what I'm hearing? That play therapy with children that cannot verbalize yet or maybe not willing to verbalize play therapy can be a form of safe talk? Yes, it can. And what if they've been in some kind of a situation where some perpetrator told them, don't you ever tell anybody if you talk, bad things will happen? Well, then they don't talk, but they show. And when they show, then sometimes we can uh, help treat them for whatever the pain was and we can help them not need to be so distressed in their later life. If we, the, younger, the, the sooner we can treat anything like that, the better the chances of a complete recovery and, and healing. That was going to be my next question is how soon, I mean, what what if uh, you're not aware of it, um, this trauma or whatever it is that child is going through, what if you're not aware of it for like six months to a year? Is this play therapy still um, effective after that period of time? Yes, it is. It's effective. In fact, I have adults into their 30s, 40s, 50s who who encapsulated and boxed up the trauma that they experienced as a child and finally it pops and they decide and they discover that they're falling apart and they need to treat it and so they will come in and we sometimes will even do play therapy with them play therapy we can use art we can use the sand tray that's very popular because sometimes that sensory processing where you touch the sand and make little scenarios in there to show what happened when you had no words. Even adults can't give words to things that happened pre-verbally. But they can remember them. Well, they can show you. They can show you with toys and um, drawing and and other methods of play what happened if that comes up. That is fascinating. I have never, ever considered that. Thank you so much for that. That That is amazing, and I want our listeners to know that um, this is available. It's available probably. If it's available in Wyoming, then I know it's available in other places. <laughs> and, yes, in fact, even in Turkey, my friends are even teaching it in foreign countries. <laughs> oh wow, that is that is absolutely amazing because I guess I guess even if you speak a foreign language, play play therapy is not really it's its own language that 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 encompasses everyone everywhere, right? Right. That that is amazing. So so let's hear. Have you have you ever? Um, 
have you ever dealt with a suicidal child? I have. Um, I At one time I was with a suicidal child who had had such stress and some, so many difficulties occur that um, one of them went to WBI at age four for treatment. And, and uh, last I heard, the treatment was very successful. Um, I've had uh, one that I knew fairly well that I had in my presence, and I was able to work with that child. Uh, well, inpatient, I had suicidal kids sometimes, and outpatient, I've had a, a suicidal child who's come in and talked about what's going on. What what they were experiencing was that things had become so painful that they just didn't see how living could be ever not painful. They didn't have a plan or, or intend to do anything to themselves at that point in time, but they were very, very upset and, and not feeling that life was worth living and had lost sight of hope. So in those kinds of instances, we see if they need to be hospitalized, and if they do, we recommend that they go immediately to the, either the ER or to WBI. Generally, it begins at the ER where they will be evaluated and then um, a qualified professional will evaluate and recommend either hospitalization or um, go home, depending on the situation. So I, I don't do a lot of crisis intervention, but when I do, um, it's more likely to be debriefing with law enforcement or other first responders, or it's going to be someone I've known for a while that comes to my office and says, look, I'm just really feeling like I've lost hope. And so we'll work on having them tell me when they figure out there's some some kind of hope. And we'll often build what we call an emotional first aid kit, especially with, um, well, I use this with everyone who wants to do it. I've, I've had a few adults use this, but I've had, it appeals more to the teens and then to the elementary age kids, maybe uh, second, third grade and up. And the emotional first aid kit will be, I, I have a box they can decorate. It can be a shoe box. It can be a wooden box. It can be any kind of a container that you can put things into. And so they will decorate it and I will give them starter items to put in there. We try to have an item to appeal to each of the senses. So something that you can touch, something that you can smell, something to taste, something to feel. And the feel and the touch kind of go together. Um, something that you like to look at. Uh, my emotional first aid kit would always have a cool rock. And today that cool rock might be an old bumpy brown one. Or next time it might be something that's carved with a beautiful thing on it. It can It's just whatever rock I picked up last that I felt like it felt good in my hand. Um, mine usually has lemon drops. I never put anything to taste that's going to melt. Uh, so I might have a lemon drop <laughs> and I'll have I'll have some, some yarn or some fabric uh, something to because I love to feel yarn and fabric I might have a little piece of silky fabric or I might have a little uh, sometimes I'll crochet a small rose and that's a, a nice yarn not not some of the junky yarn with weeds in it but nice yarn <laughs> and I'll and that's nice to feel <laughs> I yeah. usually have something because I for for my scented thing I I like to have either you know, one of those oranges that you stud with 
cloves and then you roll it in some spices around Christmas time. I like that. That smells good. But if that's too big, then I I might have, because it serves dual purpose, I'll have lavender scented hand lotion in there because lavender is a scent that doesn't, that is calming for me. And as I rub that hand lotion on, I make myself focus on how it feels on my hands and how it Mm -hmm. smells and how it feels to take care of myself by giving myself a little hand massage. Mm -hmm. So I think hearing, oh, hearing. I usually have something like a jingle bell in there because Mm. I like music and I I think those are musical. (laughs) Not everybody (laughs) wants to listen to jingle bells. (laughs) Well, they are at Christmas. <laughs> They're musical. Yes. <laughs> so, Berlin, well, how often do you build these first aid kits? I mean, is it? Well, it's it's one. It's usually a one-time thing for a child, and okay. or or an adult, and then you uh, put things in and out as you want to. Some people will. If I have a supply of the wooden boxes, um, I usually have various sizes, and they'll pick the size they want. And they'll decorate it. They can. I have all kinds of acrylic paints and other and markers and things that work really well to decorate a wooden box. I have things you can glue on, like um, we can cut pictures from magazines, and I always have glue and uh, some kind of pictures and colorful things. So things that make you think of uh, hopeful stuff. So I have them decorate their own. And, um, oh, yeah, my favorite thing in mine is a Chinese puzzle box, which has seven moves, and it is way fun. <laughs> and there's so an elephant bead office. inside there. <laughs> right, yeah. I have a hand-carved <laughs> elephant bead in the middle. <laughs> so, so you're keeping your mind so busy that you don't have time to worry about why you're using the emotional first aid kit. You're trying to right. do well, your puzzle. That is, yes. I mean, and that, yes, distracting. Distracting is an important, an important dialectical behavior therapy skill. When you're in a point where you feel like things are just going totally south, if you can use something that's distracting, like lavender lotion or playing with my Chinese puzzle, that is going to help you get past those few moments of feeling like totally fed up, and that can that can assist one in. Get, you have to do it before you're deeply suicidal. But if, if you do these things, use the emotional first aid kit. When you first get the trigger that makes you feel that all hope is lost, if you can do that distracting and get yourself doing something else and focusing on something, when I'm successful opening that puzzle box, believe you me, I feel like I've climbed Mount Everest <laughs> some days. <laughs> Oh, that is such a great idea. I hope everyone, um, sorry about my voice. I've been going through this cold thing, and my voice comes in and out. So if I start sounding a little croaky, that's what's going on. Um, But at any rate, I love it that you said you talked about hope because uh, I have learned that hope is the number one indicator of suicide. It, it that is what is in common with people is the loss of hope. The loss of hope is kind of like the last step towards the suicidal ideation. And I have kind of coined a phrase that says hope is the enemy of suicide and I use it everywhere and I want everybody to remember that. Hope is the enemy of suicide. Don't you believe that, Berlene? 
Yes, it is the enemy of suicide. When we have a glimmer of hope, it's also the enemy of uh, marital breakups. When we have a glimmer of hope that there is something worth saving, when we when we realize that there is this little bit of hope, the hope that I can go home and my dog, if no one else has been glad to see me today, my dog is. <laughs> yeah. My cat is too, but she's a little more subtle about expressing it. <laughs> you know, and, and hope is just so important. And that's, uh, we base a lot of our events that we have locally on hope. Like we have um, currently we're having our, we're going to be having our annual festival of hope. And that is where we just, everyone in the community is welcome. It's free because hope is free. You don't have to pay for hope. You can't put a price on a life. So we want people to come and get hope no matter what it is. And we're kind of like your emotional first aid kit. I love that comparison because we have, it's eclectic. So we have face painting. We have therapy animals. I believe you're going to be there. You're not a therapy animal, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, so you're going to be there. <laughs> maybe I maybe I am a therapy animal. <laughs> maybe you are. Maybe you can bring your dog. <laughs> yeah, she is a therapy animal. She may she may attend. <laughs> well, that would be awesome if you would bring her. Um and we have superheroes that come in their costumes and I invite everyone to dress up as a superhero. Um, I mean, we have all kinds of things that will bring a smile to someone's face and hopefully offer them some hope. I mean, it's, it's just, to me, it is so critical not to lose hope um, because once you lose hope, you may lose your life. And I, I just, that is so critical to me. So what, what, um, another thing uh, let's talk about is how do you, I mean, is this emotional first aid kit, is that how you debrief yourself as the listener to someone that's suicidal? Is that, could we categorize that um, as a debriefing tool? We certainly could, and that is the main uh, one of the main uses I have for it. But I also really do have a dog and a cat, and petting an animal that loves you is so healing. I, if you if you aren't an animal person, um, it wouldn't work for you. But for me, I love animals, and so if I can pet my animals, sit down, and my dog crawls up in my lap and lets the cat get on the other side, and then I'm a mommy sandwich. But uh, petting them if I've had a tough day uh, brings me down. Um, it gets my pulse rate where it should be, and it gets my breathing and my blood pressure where it, it's it's healthy. And so I don't I don't carry the things that happen at work with me all the time. My dog actually goes to work with me, so we debrief each other when the last patient is gone. <laughs> oh, that is we, so awesome. Um, so, so how important is it, Verlene, that the person that's doing the listening, the person that is letting all of the, uh, let's say I am talking to you about my suicidal ideations, and I liken that to, and I've talked about this before, as to when you, you're nauseous and you know that it, your stomach is upset, and if you vomit, you'll feel so much better. And that's how I liken 
the safe talk. It's like, let me, I'm going to vomit all over you, and now I'm going to feel so much better. But you, as the receiver of the vomit, (laughs) how important is it for you to debrief yourself? It's essential that I debrief myself after that. If I've been at, uh, even in a session, if I have a session where things have been pretty tough, I'm going to go and at least I'm going to leave the room and wash my hands before I start another session because I can't start a new session with the remains or the verbal vomit from the last session uh, interfering. So I have to I have to kind of do a little bit of cleansing in between and and if it's when I say that Zuri and I help each other after a session we really do we'll take a little walk something uh, get out in the air and if it's been a very intensive thing I have a colleague that I can call and that I can talk things over with I can consult with someone um, without of course naming names but just saying look you know I've had a really tough day and I just need to debrief a little bit we do that for each other so I want everyone that's getting yeah if you're doing if you're in this helper role you must care for the helper so that the helper can continue to care for others or the helper is going to uh, be overwhelmed. And when we get yeah. that sense of overwhelm, we just, it's just, it overwhelm means it's too much. It, it's over the top. I can't do it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't, I mean, I can't imagine in your position doing this all day, every day, or five days a week, or whatever, how often you do it. It's because I I do it um, just on call. I mean, I uh, Mm -hmm. do it when people call me or message me or whatever. And um, I listen. And yes, uh, I may not be in person, or I may be in person, but I definitely know what it's like to get that vomit all over me. And I understand um, what you're saying is you need to get that off. And I, I imagine you could use other methods. Um, I, I I like being outside, so I like to go outside and walk in nature and just listen to nature sounds, and that calms me. And could that be a form of this debriefing that you're talking about? Absolutely. Zuri and I get a walk about every hour or two. And um, and honestly, I don't I don't work five days a week with clients at this time. I work usually more closer to three and a half or four days a week with clients. And not and most of them are not suicidal. A lot of them were dealing with other things that have nothing to do with suicide. So, um, but yet, I do want to start fresh with each client. So I, I need a little bit of, uh, you know, get a drink of water or wash my hands or, or use the restroom or something between sessions so that I do have a little space between sessions and I don't carry the emotions from one into the next. It just isn't, I just don't do it. So, um, so yes, it's, the walking is good, and sometimes I walk with patients if they want to be outside too. We uh, we go out and walk together with the puppy. Oh, that's now that's awesome, and that's one thing for our listeners to remember that if if you're in a spot where the person is kind of anxious or 
full of anxiety and is having a hard time sitting still or sitting down or being cooped up in a room, um, use Verlene's suggestion and ask them if they want to go outside and take a walk while they're talking. Um, and I can see where that would work. That would work for me. <laughs> oh, it's great. Right now, near my office, there's uh, Garden Creek and we can go over. Pretty soon we'll be able to see the little hatchlings of the fish. There will be little minnows in there. When they get to be about three inches long, they seem to get on down to the river. But we see those. Sometimes we see a pheasant. We sometimes see a deer. You never know what kind of wildlife you'll see. Sometimes there are children <laughs> or adults walking, and, and they could be some of the wildlife. But normally there aren't very many people in the park, so we're not worried about being overheard and breaching confidentiality. And if there is anyone else there, we just don't talk about anything confidential till we turn to the office. But we do have the opportunity to be in nature, and sometimes that being in nature is something that can lift our spirits and uh, make us generate some hope. Yeah, and and I know you said that you don't always treat people that are immediately suicidal or having suicidal thoughts. However, you there are many, many things that um, could lead to suicidal ideation, like divorces or, um, you know, things that job loss or, you know, all kinds of things that people could be talking to you about that may at some point cause them to be suicidal if they don't get to talk, safe talk with you, right? Right, right. And that's um, th that's why talk is so important. One of the things that I stress if I'm working a, crit a critical incident debriefing is that it's important that you talk about with this with whomever you are permitted by your job to talk about it um, because the the more you talk about it, the more you process it and the less likely it is to lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, you will have experienced post-traumatic stress at the due to the incident often, but it doesn't have to go further than that. It can be post-traumatic stress that dissipates. It, it goes away as you talk about it. It reduces every time you talk about it. Yeah, and that that is so helpful. Now, now we don't have long left, but I would like to ask you, Berlene, do you, can you talk to us about the latest developments in uh, suicide prevention, what you've learned, what you know, um, so that we can all hear what's coming down the pike or has come down the pike? Um, yes, I will. I will try and summarize it. So when we, one of the biggest things is that we recognize it and we've stopped um, lionizing or punishing people for feeling suicidal, for feeling like that. So when people think they want to die by suicide, they might have at one time covered it up which can become a catastrophe and so and end in their death. And so we've made it less probably made mental wellness and seeking mental health counseling and mental and, and even the medications that go with mental wellness. We've made all of that more acceptable in our society, which has had a I think a huge difference. Um the yeah. worldwide me, suicide rates have gone down, not in the United States, but the worldwide suicide rates have gone down uh, quite a bit over the last two years. 
Yeah, let me let me interject here that we have had a series on uh, stigma and no judgment, mm-hmm. and this is exactly what you're talking about. We have been urging people to don't enter into judging people if you find out they have a mental health issue or they have an addiction or whatever it is, because that causes them to go underground. That causes them not to talk. Um, and so does the stigma. And we've talked about the stigma at length on our podcast. And that's what you're talking about is we don't want to, um, uh, uh, normalize their thoughts of suicide. However, we don't want to throw a stigma at them and we don't want to judge them. We want them to feel comfortable talking to us in a in a judgment-free, stigma-free environment. Is that what you're talking about? It is. One of the most um, significant indicators that suicide may actually occur is fearlessness. If the person is fearless and does not fear death and has had enough of what they think their life troubles are, um, they're at the highest risk. um, So if we can get them to talk about it, we probably can't take away the fearlessness, but sometimes we can help them ameliorate and make it less difficult, make their problems they're facing less overbearing and less overwhelming. And that's one of the things that we try to do. Um, I think, and eliminating the stigma, though, is is one of the is is very beneficial. It's one of the best things that we've done, I think, for prevention, even because now it's okay to talk about it. One thing I would highly recommend, and that's just popped into my head: if you're parents and you're worried about your kid and their potential suicidality, find out what's on their playlist and see what songs they're listening to. I I've recently seen several songs on a child's playlist that were pointing to go kill yourself, go do awful things to yourself, go hurt yourself. If they're listening to that kind of thing, they're it's soaking into their brain that they should do that. And so if you can eliminate those kind of songs from their playlist, I don't care what genre, what kind of music they like to listen to, um, they can, we can find rap that is uplifting and hopeful. We can find all kinds of, and we can have uplifting and hopeful music in all genres. Well, maybe not screamo, but <laughs> most everything else. Even even metal, there are some beautifully hopeful lyrics. I'm probably oh. not going to listen to it because it's too loud for me. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I mean, I know I, there are Christian metal groups. There's Christian rap groups, and I'm just for one that those would be hopeful. Um, and I know there's other other hopeful uh, genres, and there's also instrumentals. You, there's no words, just instrumentals. And so I I think that you're right. Listen, find out what your child is listening to. Even adults, even adults will mm-hmm. listen to that black music, and it does talk about um, taking your life and how. Uh, things are so depressing and that type of thing. And so I, I would say anybody, if you if you have a spouse, if you have a friend, find out what their playlist is and help them out right. by, yeah, maybe suggesting suggesting that 
you know, maybe this is has become overwhelming to you and a problem. Maybe let's clear this playlist and let's find some some constructive, positive, uplifting, maybe even spiritual music. Um, I can see where that would work for adults also, you know. So I I don't very often listen to music. I don't have time to sit around and listen to music. And um, <laughs> when I do, <laughs> it's music from um, years and years and years ago, the old 50s, 60s, you know, and there really was none of this black music back then that I recall. So I, I think that's a great suggestion that our listeners can take away from this also. So one of the suggestions are the emotional first aid kit, which I think is awesome. I think anybody, any age can do that. It would bring out your creativity if you get to decorate it, if you get to use what kind of container you want. And I, I can see parents working with their children on this. And vice versa, I can see adults working with each other on this. And I think that is a great idea. And you can even make a list to put in your emotional first aid kit of things that calm you, things that comfort you, things that you may you may forget when you're in one of those depressed moods or you may forget when you're having anxiety or whatever, but write down those things that calm or comfort you, just like mine is being outdoors, picking up rocks, watching wildlife, um, reading a book, what whatever it is, write those things down and put it in your first aid kit. Don't you think that would help too? Yes, I do. I think that would be a great addition to the emotional first aid kit. And partnering with someone when you have a partner to help you with your hopefulness, have a have a wellness partner, an emotional wellness partner. That can be an incredible benefit. Yeah, I can see where that would be. And I can think now that you said hopefulness, I can see me making my emotional first aid kit, which I'm I'm probably I don't know, but I'm already planning it. <laughs> and and I can see me writing <laughs> I can see me writing in big letters on the top top of it, hope. So that I don't mm-hmm. mistake it. I know what it is. This is my hopeful emotional first aid kit. And I'm when I open it up, hope is going to pop out at me in many forms. So I love that idea. I love that you told us the latest developments because that is what our program and our nonprofit, JR's Hunt for Life, is all about. It's all about safe talk. It's all about no stigma, no judgment, just being there for a person, just listening. And and a while back, I gave an example when I was researching of a doctor, a therapist, um, actually a doctor of some type of psychology in Germany, uh, wrote a story for a magazine that um, that he he was trying to help a young man that was deeply suicidal, and all he did was listen because everything everyone else did was begging to live, telling what would happen if he died. They gave him reasons why he should live, and none of that changed his mind. He had attempted a couple of times, but this therapist learned from that, and all he did was sit and listen to this boy. 
through several sessions. He just listened. He didn't offer anything. He listened. And that boy did not take his life. He grew up to be a man. He eventually contacted this um, German doctor and said, you know what saved my life was you're listening to me with no judgments, no stigmas. You just listened and let me get it all out. It's just like that bomb that we were talking about. Isn't that interesting? It is. It's amazing, isn't it? it Someone is. taking that, the time to listen can be the the deal changer. It can be, and it it's it's anyone can save a life. Anyone, you know, there. Berlin and and I read this. There is a cure for suicide, and that is you. That is me. That is human beings in general. We are the cure to suicide. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> I yes, think it is. That, Oh, <laughs> sorry. Yes, my cat just started. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for being here, Verlene. I loved our chat. We will do it again. Um, I know you took time out of your busy schedule, and I so appreciate it. So you have a great rest of your week, and everyone else have a great rest of your week. And we will be talking again soon to Verlene Davis. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jenny. <laughs> Bye-bye, Verlene. You've been listening to JR's Hunt for Life Suicide Prevention Podcast Safe Talk with Jenny Hunter and Billy Floyd, where there are no judgments and talk saves lives. Jenny Hunter is the founder of JR's Hunt for Life, a suicide prevention nonprofit movement offering hope and support globally. I'm Billy Floyd. I'm a podcast host, a media broadcaster, and most importantly, a positive influencer. Sounds of Soul Music is courtesy of Fearless Motivation. Find out more about JR's Hunt for Life at jrshuntforlife.org.